Welcome. Hey, to- everybody. Welcome to the Review to Be Named podcast. I'm Alex. With me today is Jordan. Yes, that was an interesting way to open the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's really unexpected. Yeah, I, just, I did not see that one coming. So Alex does our opening this week, folks. Um, that lets you know that Alex is on the show with us. This, uh, well. this week, Jordan is not, as always, Jordan. Well, I, I am, as always, Jordan, but I just didn't get mm. to say it. Because somebody has to step on my cue. I introduced you. <laughs> he, he introduced me. It's it's like I'm a guest on my own podcast. So I, thanks for that. I enjoyed being introduced for a change. I did. It was it was actually quite pleasant. Um, I hope that you run the entire show and treat me like a pampered guest. Uh, before we get any further, we should say that Chris is also here. Well, your words. <laughs> Define here. Your words, not mine. Um, today on the show, we're going to do our standard news roundup. We're going to talk about the Veronica Mars movie's success on Kickstarter. And we're going to talk about some events that have gone on in the pages of Batman Incorporated in the comics. So why don't we get started with uh, Chris? Why don't we go straight to you and talk about your news story for the week? Uh, my story is a little bit dated, but I don't care because I love Jurassic Park. So we're going to talk about it. the uh, director for Jurassic Park 4 has been announced is going to be Colin Trevorrow of Safety Not Guaranteed fame. And not much else is known about the movie so far. The screenplay is going to be written by uh, Rick Jaffa, who did uh, Rise of Planet of the Apes, um, which I actually liked. I thought it was pretty sol- Rise of the Planet of the Apes was pretty solid. I went in with pretty low expectations, so that might have been part of it. But um, these are two guys who um, I think could put together a really exciting Jurassic Park movie. It's not um, people who you would normally i think associate with big the big blockbuster feel that is jurassic park but i think after the bad taste of jurassic park 3 maybe something maybe a different vision maybe a fresher take is what we need but to be honest with you to be honest with you all i really want is more dinosaurs chasing people and more specifically and fingers crossed here dinosaurs chasing jeff goldblum Please let Jeff Goldblum be in this. Let me ask you this. Will there be more super smart pterodactyls? I, I I know that at one point there was a pitch for a Jurassic Park movie that was uh, scientists trying to create dinosaur soldiers. There were there were leaked uh, art, uh, concept art from that movie, and it looked fucking insane. Yeah, that's why like, I can't sleep anymore. I've seen oh, it. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I just Chris lie awake at night with that image burned in my mind. Just like uh, humanoid dinosaurs with guns for arms. Like, yeah. I don't know. By the way, I don't know. That sounds kind of awesome. I don't know I, how that theory. movie died because it, it would not have been good, but people would have seen it. Yeah, let me put it to you this way. Like, the chances that the dinosaur soldier Jurassic Park is a good movie are close to zero. The chances that I see it are 150%. Oh, yeah. That movie would have won all the Razzies, but made all the money. Literally. We would all be broke right now, uh, bowing down to Spielberg and whoever else had made that movie uh, for one more glimpse of a dinosaur soldier with a gun for an arm. Yeah. But uh, getting back to the uh, Jurassic Park 4 story for a minute, what little we know about it. Did either of you guys see Safety Not Guaranteed? Yes. Yep. Okay, so thoughts on this? Did you guys, did you guys like Safety? or? Yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I, 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 thought was, I thought it was a really solid little film. Uh, I, I really um, well-crafted, and I, I just enjoyed myself all the way through. I thought there was some really solid performances that came out of some pretty solid TV actors. And all around um, was a very strong feature directorial debut. So, um, I mean, it's it's a big leap to go from that to Jurassic Park, even this being like the fourth movie in the series. But even still, I think that... Um, Trevorrow, his strength lies in character work and, um, getting great character moments out of his actors and interactions. And I, I think that's where, um, a successful Jurassic Park movie can come from. Yeah. I hope he gets great character moments out of the T-Rex. Well, yeah. Like when the T-Rex has that moment with the Raptor, like you just know that there was something going on there. Like, yeah. How they like used to be together, but now they they can't be anymore because of the Raptor's parents. They clearly been lovers. And the Raptors' deeply held religious beliefs. Of course. 
And the T-Rex is all like, hey, I can travel through time. And the raptor's like, I don't really believe you, but I'm kind of smitten with your quirkiness anyway. Yeah, there was also a little bit of post-Civil War reconstruction in there, but that's a whole conversation for a different time. Guys, I'm pretty sure we're writing a screenplay right now, so maybe when this podcast is over, we should just wrap for a while and then... <laughs> probably cut this part out, really, so... Let's tweet Rick, let's tweet Rick Jaffa after this. <laughs> we have some notes. We have, sir, we have some ideas. We think you're going to want to hear us out. <laughs> Um, so I'm excited. I think it's a great, I think it's a good choice of directors. It's an unexpected choice, but it's a choice that leaves me, um, pleasantly surprised and excited for what Jurassic Park 4 could be. So that's, that's my final thoughts on this whole thing. I think we can move on unless you guys, uh, I have said plenty of stupid things so far. Alex, Hell you yeah. to say? It, it's just, if anything has Jurassic Park in front of it, I will watch it. Like it doesn't matter. Oh yeah. Hands like, down. Really? Yeah, if anything, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm now trying to think of like it's basically it's just the notebook, but it says Jurassic Park the notebook, and there are I no would dinosaurs. Watch that. There's a lot of sad Alzheimer's and some dinosaurs forgetting things. No, there are no dinosaurs. Are we on Eastland New Bar? Don't fight the hypo, Alex. Some dinosaurs killing other dinosaurs with pillows. <laughs> that happened in the notebook. No, that is not the notebook. This is your continuing quest to try to spoil more. I don't. It's not a try. I mean. Well, now it's not. It was a try when people might not have known the end of the movie, but then I went and, and clarified the movie that Chris was ruining for our audience. Yeah, it's my continuing quest to trick you into spoiling more. Boom! We're gonna get like this, you know. Four angry emails from from people who are like, "Amor was in my Netflix queue." We're not gonna get an email. No, that's <laughs> all of our listeners. I was gonna say it's it's sweet that uh that I like to pretend that our listeners are engaged with us when very rarely do we hear from any of you. Feel free to email guys, us and be angry at me for spoiling more. By the way, guys, we love you so much. Just love us a little bit back. <laughs> we do so much. We give you everything. Um, I think now is a good time to move on. Uh, we're just begging to our <laughs> listeners. Alan, we should have moved went on from Jurassic it. Park to a more. I mean. <laughs> Then this isn't even a happy hour podcast. This is just us being terrible. Guys, just, uh, guys. it's a podcast recorded at happy hour. And it's just, well, you know, is, any, is, is any hour not happy hour in your conception? Because I would not normally consider this happy It's hour. five o'clock somewhere. Guys, American remake of Amore, Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum. Think about it. They are cops. They are investigating yeah. a murder. American remakes are not always reliable. They're That'd be not beautiful. always faithful. If it was a shot-for-shot shot remake, it would be yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I would watch that movie. If Hanukkah did another shot-for-shot shot remake uh, in English, and he, he cast Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum, or I would Ian, absolutely see that. Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. Um, the, the, the newly wedded couple, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart? Yeah, yeah, them. <laughs> yeah, they're getting married. We are now officially reporting this story on the podcast, right? Breaking. From now on, we should do a. The news roundup should really be like a, t- a game of telephone where beforehand we all tell each other the news stories that we want to report, and then we report on each other's news stories. So we mangle things and report that Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart are getting married, and um, Jurassic Park 4 is going to be a shot for shot remake of a more. We've already done that. Yeah. <laughs> it's already happened. Never mind. That's just what the podcast is already. <laughs> um, Alex, when we turn to you for your news story for the week? I'm going to talk about uh, how Cartoon Network, well, they still have some great shows like Adventure Times, excellent. I can't recommend it enough. A regular show is pretty good. Or it's very good, but I just don't watch it enough. Um, they have canceled Green. Believe it, but it did get better in the back half. The first half kind of sucked. Uh, they canceled Young Justice, and they have now are on the warpath and canceling uh, The Clone Wars, which I've heard will air more episodes in webisode form but it's still very very disappointing to see it leave uh television and leave my saturday mornings so that i will sleep in rather than wake up at 8 30 in the morning to watch cartoons you don't have tivo what tivo what <laughs> you should, not the same you should you should, you should get tivo who <laughs> he, he means dvr alex oh on demand <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have twitter you mean skype <laughs> facebook yeah. yeah yeah i got facebook 
Oh, yeah. Everyone's got Facebook. Guys, this is the best podcast ever. Oh, I hate Facebook. <laughs> so, Chris, uh, what do you think about Young Justice being canceled? Because no one here cares that uh, Clone Wars is being canceled. But Well, it's actually, awesome. I, I, I did have a question for you about Clone Wars. Is Because uh, I only um, – I, I saw the story, but I, I think I only skimmed it because I was running out the door when I saw the announcement came out. Was that because of ratings or was it because – Disney wanted a fresh start with their own properties. You know, I don't know if it's uh, it's definitely not ratings. It's still one of the highest rated shows on Cartoon Network. But I don't know if necessarily Disney just pulled the hammer on it Uh, from the beginning. I think George Lucas was saying that it was going to be 100 episodes or so. And they're above that now. Um, And they say they say that they still got more storylines to tell. Uh, They wrapped up the Ahsoka storyline for a bit uh, i mean she can still come back but they like kind of did their way with her kind of i don't want to spoil anything for anyone who wants to actually watch it like like a more exactly yeah uh anakin smothered her with a pillow <laughs> uh, let's just was... continue to spoil we should, <laughs> we should just do a podcast where we're spoiling every movie that came out in the last year or so anakin tried to feed her water and then she spit it out so he slapped her Pillow smothering is also how Spring Breakers ends. Spoilers, Aww. guys. Uh, it's funny to me that you're trying to make Spring Breakers into a thing. Spring Breakers it's... is a thing. You need to get on board now. I am not on board. Spring Break. Spring Break forever. Spring Break forever. Look at all my shit. <laughs> if, we, if we have ever had a, a loyal fan base, they are now... Seriously, even more loyal in telling mulling their uh, life choices. Yeah, like, you're you're all probably out there listening to this, thinking like, "What have I done in my life that has led me to the point where I am listening to what like 15 minutes into this dreck?" Oh, you I was encouraging you to watch the movie Sensation of 2013, Spring Breakers. <laughs> the movie Sensation of 2013, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. That yep. is about the uh, Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart nuptials. I will. <laughs> I will just throw a plug out there to people that I don't know at all, but there's an article on Hollywood.com that is comparing Spring Breakers to the corruption and fall of Britney Spears. Okay, I could I can see it. It's I, I haven't read it yet because I want to see the movie first, but I can't wait to read it. Uh going back to your original question for a minute ago, because I don't know how we got this far <laughs> off the beaten path. Um <laughs> everything comes back to a more. I've only I've only seen parts of the first season of Young Justice, and that had nothing to do with the quality of the show because I really liked what I saw. It was just um, I was watching it um, just uh, whenever I could find an episode online, and I got really far behind, and then I just got so far behind that it became easier to move on to other things than to catch up. But that being said, I'm very sad to hear about it going because I did really like a lot of what I saw on that show. And more so than that, I, as a big comics guy um, and having, along with Jordan, done a lot of analysis of uh, the reboot DC recently did with its own comics line, uh, Young Justice pre- predated the New 52, the the comics reboot DC did. And I always saw that as being a much smarter, a much tighter streamlining of DC's admittedly um, extremely convoluted mess of continuity, where uh, Young Justice very seamlessly blended together different generations of sidekick heroes. Like you had um, Dick Grayson, who was the first Robin um in this show alongside uh, the new Aqualad, which was a character who was only introduced about maybe two, two and a half years ago, I want to say. And they kind of created a DC universe, which was very accessible uh, to fans new and old, at least I thought. Um, And I'd be anxious to hear what you think about that, Alex. But I thought it was a very, it was a very modern feeling DC, but that still retained a lot of the classic elements of the mythos that I thought were lost in DC's reboot that they did with the comics. So I would have, I, I think Young Justice was a very smart reimagining of these concepts, and I'm sad to see it go. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it had really, really solid storytelling. It was a, a story you could follow from first episode to last episode. They both ended on July 4th, which I'm sure that they intended. 
And uh, as someone who doesn't read a lot of DC comics at all, all that stuff felt completely coherent. Like it all just fit together really well. The old sidekicks, the new sidekicks, like what I assume, like I'm not being, I haven't read a lot of DC comics. So what I assume is the runaways are actually in this universe. Uh, the, the, the runaways are Marvel. Well, fuck you. They have, <laughs> they have runaways. There are runaways in DC universe. They stole them. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> wow. Like I said, I don't this read a lot of comics. the best things ever happened. <laughs> well, don't worry. Breaking all news. Our... The Runaways are now a DC book. So there, there's a, there's a group of, of our listeners that are introduced left. called The Runaways? Eh, no. They just ran away from a thing, and they don't want to join the Young Justice, so they're on their own. Okay. Fair enough. And they all yeah. looked like the guys that I've seen on covers of The Runaways, so I was like, oh, maybe that's them. It does sound very Runaways. Um, yeah, but I, I really liked a lot of the elements I saw there and just how, uh, they, I, I always appreciate the DC shows that can kind of juggle a very large cast. Like I love justice league unlimited for that. And, um, I, when I saw they did the, uh, the five year jump with young justice and they brought in like a whole new group of teen heroes and they had this whole idea that the, the organization had just grown so much in that time that there was now, they had this whole network of younger heroes that were the older, the relatively older heroes were now training uh, heroes younger than themselves. And you had um, multiple Robins on the team. I, I just thought it was a really cool idea and just really found smart ways to blend a lot of these characters in together. So I, I look forward to actually watching it through from the beginning and seeing the stuff that I missed. And I'm, I'm very sad that uh, Cartoon Network isn't, able to keep running the show because um i mean i've seen the replacements uh that they're coming out with um they beware the good. batman is yeah is that it's i'm gonna check out i'm gonna check out beware the batman be- mostly because it's done uh i believe it's done in 3d uh not traditional 2d Wait, beware yeah. the batman tell me more about this <laughs> uh, slightly intrigued it uh alfred I has mean, guns does he? I don't know. I haven't really paid attention. I'm just super bummed out by the them canceling yeah. and them like bringing back basically Teen Titans and fucking ugh, God. You know, they go throw off. Excuse me. Yeah, I'm I am disappointed about that. I I could never get into Teen Titans Go. It just it, apparently it did have quite the big following, which I guess is why they're bringing it back. But I was For I was always much... five to twelve. I'm sure like yeah. Unfortunately, that's the majority of people that watch Cartoon Network. Why can't you all be more like me? Yeah, it's like 99.99999% of the Cartoon Network audience, and the rest is that's, you. No, that's not. You're right. You and like a bunch of, of high undergrads. Yeah, yeah that's about, that sounds better. <laughs> <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot about the uh, the adult swim block. Yeah, and that uh, bleeds over. You know what I would like to see Cartoon Network do? Do you remember when... um. The WB did like the uh, the Batman Superman Adventures, uh, the new Batman Superman Adventures or whatever it was. Yes. The block. I, I would like to see sort of like a Bruce Tim Paul Dini like animated half hour showcase that could just do and be anything within the DCU, the anime DCU they established. And I would be the only person that would watch it, but I would still have the greatest. I would time. just like Sam just and I used to talk about time. this all the time, and he'll be sad that he's not here when I'm mentioning it on the podcast. But I would just like Cartoon Network to use the Adult Swim block to do like a, a grittier Batman cartoon that was more aimed at people like us who would watch a Batman cartoon that was allowed to kill people. That'd be cool. Like, I think the only thing, if there's anything wrong with the original Batman the Animated Series, which I'm not sure that there is, it's that they weren't able to do some of the grittier stories that Batman could do otherwise. Um because it was aimed at kids. And if they aimed this one more at adults, that wouldn't be a problem. I mean, for the the original Batman, the animated series is kind of uh, like them having guns in that show and that fired real bullets was a big deal back then. Like it was still groundbreaking for its time. And let's like, let's not undersell it. It was amazing. (laughs) Still look, it's still fantastic. Oh yeah. I've, I've watched that show again as an adult and it's incredible. It really holds up. Some of my all time favorite, like, superhero stories come from that show and i mean it, it there really are half hours of that show canon. that hold up to anything on television honestly like, mr freeze would not be an interesting character if it weren't for batman uh the animated series 
No, and but I mean as, that that show did great Poison Ivy episodes. It did did great episodes with even some of the smaller characters. There's a great ventriloquist episode that I can recall off the top of my head. There's, it's it's just, it's a show that got Batman really really well and did great things with the with the character in the Rogues Gallery. And as an animation fan, they did an amazing thing. I think they only did it for like the first two seasons or something, but they started all of their drawings on black paper rather than white. Mm-hmm. So they bring light into the. Uh, paper rather than taking it out of it which gave it a really really uh unique feel yeah Fucking and i fantastic. think i i have watched some young justice and never really connected with it and i think one of the reasons that is is because i have such a high standard in my head for dc cartoons like i've never been able to get into any dc cartoon that wasn't batman the animated series because even the other dini tim uh animated ones never connected with me in quite the same way that one did that show is the, is the reason that batman was the <laughs> superhero you mean you mean you didn't like the Zeta project? I don't know. I watched all of that. Oh fuck. Jordan Jordan, I will agree with you up until a point of that I will say that uh I, I mean I will defend Justice League Unlimited until I'm blue in the face, just because it it, it I, I, I think it speaks to different strengths than Batman the animated series did. I well Batman in the the animated series maybe told the definitive um batman stories i think justice league unlimited told the definitive dcu stories as a whole um but that's a conversation for an entirely different podcast and i haven't essentially an interesting to be fair so i should maybe watch that first yeah uh this actually we could possibly do a future segment on this so maybe we should just put a pin on this and discuss this more later yeah um if we ever get back to challenge accepted i would be happy to take that on but someone has to finish their last challenge first yes i know I'll get to it. Um, Okay, so why don't we move on? And I'm going to talk very briefly about my story for the week, which is the rumor that Alex Trebek is leaving Jeopardy after, what, 30 years as its host? Wow. Um, And there are, you know, various rumors circulating around about perhaps Matt Lauer is going to take over. Perhaps Drew Carey. uh, I've heard that. I've heard. Really? No. I'm totally. I haven't heard anything about Drew Carey. You heard it here first. Yeah. We're making things up again. No, I've heard Matt Lauer. I've heard Anderson Cooper. I um, heard Ann Curry wanted it. Oh. <laughs> You're just being mean to Ann Curry now. I'm sure yeah. she's a lovely lady. I never watched the Today Show ever, so I didn't see her on it, but I'm sure she was good. That show's having problems, but yes. I don't want to turn this into what yet another Jordan Bags on NBC in the news segment. Jordan Bags on Ann Curry. <laughs> That's a, an upcoming segment, which I Jordan, say, say mean things keep, about a woman that I have no keep opinion. the Ed Curry vendetta off the airwaves. We don't need it here. We don't need your baggage. <laughs> my, my, I'm a Matt Lauer loyalist, okay? <laughs> oh, this is our best episode ever. I feel like, is, is there a carbon monoxide leak in this podcast? <laughs> I've been oh. running the car the whole <laughs> All right. Um, so, all right, just because I see no reason why we should discuss this terribly long. Jordan, is this, what, what do you feel stop watching the world without Je- Matt, uh, Alex Trebek will be Jeopardy wise? Frankly, I think it's just a big deal, not because I watch Jeopardy all that often, which I don't, but because he's been running the show as long as it's been on. And it's definitely a game show institution. And I think really a pop culture institution. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's sort of I, I saw this in line with shows talking about what happens when Lauren Michaels uh, event, sorry, not shows, articles talking about what will happen when Lauren Michaels eventually steps down from SNL and if someone else will take it over. And if so, who? And it's it's the sort of thing where it's like Lauren Michaels left SNL briefly in the 80s. But what I think other than that two or three year period has been running the show the whole time. Trebek has been the host of Jeopardy the entire time. Um, so it's just, you know. It's a pop culture institution, and I'm not. I wouldn't argue that Jeopardy is as important culturally as Saturday Night Live is, but it's, it's a, just comforting to know it's there. Right, exactly. It's kind of a big deal, um, and I think Trebek leaving will be a seismic shift. Like, I will probably watch the new Jeopardy just to see what it looks like with the new host, even though it will look exactly the same. Um, and chances that I'll watch it more than two or three times aren't that high because I don't watch Jeopardy that often. But I would pay attention to that, and I will follow the story about who's going to be taking over uh, as as it develops, because I'm intrigued to see who it will be, and I'm intrigued to see if there's someone who will be able to, you know, anchor that show for anywhere near as long or anywhere near as influentially as Trebek has. Cool. Fair enough. We will uh, we'll keep you posted on this. I think it's going to be the new tag team married duo 
of Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. The best married couple uh, that we've ever met. Yep. Yeah, You're very here they, first, folks. They came by on their honeymoon tour of the world. The Ruby named offices and hung out with us for a little while. Um, it was very sweet. They brought along their daughter, Famke Jansen, um, <laughs> and their son, James Marsden. It was it was adorable. Jokes we made before the podcast. James James Marsden is uh, he was wearing overalls and one of those little helicopter caps. <laughs> Such a big lollipop. <laughs> the biggest lollipop. All right, let's uh, let's move on, please. Um, <laughs> oh God, yes. For the love of God, let's close down the news roundup. And Chris, I'm going to kick it over to you as the person who's the most excited, I think, to talk about the Veronica Mars Kickstarter coup. Okay, so I think everyone's pretty much heard about this story by now. Uh, Wednesday of last, uh, well, I'm not sure really this is when this is going to be airing, but uh, Wednesday, March 13th. Uh, Rob Thomas and Kristen Bell posted a Kickstarter wherein they took the prospect of the long um, speculated about Veronica Mars movie and put it to the fans to ask them if they would be willing to put up the funds to make it happen. They asked for two million dollars and they gave themselves a month to raise the money. And this was the biggest ask that's ever been uh, the biggest amount of money that's ever been asked for on Kickstarter. So it was a very ambitious project. It's a project that's been talked about for a long time. Um, they kicked the whole thing off with a video, which uh, a lot of the returning cast members um, re uh, appeared in the video to uh, try to tantalize fans with the prospect of the movie. And the video is hilarious. If you're a fan of the show, go watch the video because it's really funny. Um, but bottom line so they asked for $2 million. They raised a million dollars in like four hours. And I think they had met their goal of $2 million by the end of the day. And uh, at the moment, um, at the time of recording, I think there are around, yeah, $3.6 is where they're at right now. And we are still less than a week into uh, the fundraising for this. So it's it's an incredible success story for a beloved, a fan-beloved project. It's um, a it kind of changes, at least for me, the idea that a dead TV show has to stay dead. I see this kind of as the next step from the brown coats uh, in speaking of Firefly and the Firefly fans in the movement to make the Serenity movie. Uh, I, I think it's exciting all around, both in terms as like I, I'm coming from this as a, a huge fan of the show, but also somebody who sees this as opening doors to other possibilities for other fans of very niche TV shows who maybe didn't get the ending that they really wanted. So I think this is an incredible story and I am beyond excited about this and uh, looking forward to talking about it with you guys. So um, why don't we start with Alex? Yeah. Alex, what do you, what do you think about all this? I know we talked a little bit briefly, so uh, hit me yeah, with I mean, uh, right now. I like it. I like the idea. It, it has its pros and cons. I think we're obviously not going to know really how this is going to play out in the long run for another two, three years, maybe. Um, Supposedly the movie will be done by next year, actually. Yeah. But I'm talking about at the industry at large, like oh. how many more? Cause I mean, really when you get down to it, like this on the bad side, this could take uh, money away from small uh, budget things. Like there, I know there was this one uh, Kickstarter for a uh, horror movie called Devil's Tree. All they wanted was a measly $25,000. And then Veronica Mars in like, you know, 12 hours gets $2 million. It's like, let these uh, small kids kind of have their chance and see if anyone actually comes up out of this in, in an amazing way. Uh, indie Game, the documentary, was a Kickstarter project. And it's been in Sundance. It's been all over the place. It's I really like it. It kind of depends on your... Uh, opinions on video games as art because there's a lot of preachiness to that but i mean that's another topic for another day but uh beyond that i mean really what this is is kind of a uh it's to show studios that there is um like interest because if so far if everyone that donated to that kickstarter simply just bought a ticket to the movie i think they would have made i'll, I'll estimate now like maybe four hundred thousand dollars total so i mean it's it's still kind of a weird kind of middle ground but it's more i think to show studios like no there is interest in this project 
rather than like a viable way to start making movies. Um, I I'll agree with you in the idea that I'm, I, I am think I'm pretty much 100% excited about this for a number of different reasons, but I will agree with you that I see, I'm a little bit scared about the prospect of this could kind of co-opt, I think the original intent of Kickstarter, um, which I wouldn't be crazy about seeing if this if if now everybody who had a TV show that was canceled took to Kickstarter to try and restart their TV show. But I'm not sure that everybody can do that at this point, just because um, I, I think these were very special circumstances in that um, this show had a cult following that I think was large enough to get this done. And I'm not saying that there aren't other shows that could do that, but I think there's of the canceled TV shows that are out there. I think this was one of the bigger fish out there. Um, so I think they were in a unique position to rally a fan base large enough to actually get the money to get this done. And secondly, it's, I mean, they have a cast that there's only two, maybe three people from this cast who are really, um, doing like have so much going on that it, they can't rearrange their schedules to kind of make this passion project work. Um, like a lot of times, once you have a TV show that kind of bites the dust, everybody kind of moves on, goes their separate ways, and that did happen here too. But for the most part, a lot of this cast is still around, still in contact with each other, and well, yeah, but <laughs> able to um find the time to get this done. And I, I think they, they all actually want to do it, too. I think that's another part of it. They, they all really um, like each other and like being on the show. So I don't I don't know that I, I think we're going to see an initial um, kick into a lot of like, like a rush to see what the next quote unquote Veronica Mars is going to be. But um, I don't necessarily think we're going to see every TV show that's ever been canceled try and come back to life this way. But we could. Which I think is interesting here. Like what 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 I immediately thought of when I saw this was um, the articles I read about what how Netflix planned House of Cards and how they looked at the information the the vast amount of information they have through their analytics to see how they could tailor make the show that would definitely be a hit no matter what how they could create the show that would for very smart reasons appeal to the broadest base possible. I'm not talking about like lowest denominator kind of entertainment. I'm talking about it was people like political dramas. People watch a lot of Kevin Spacey movies. Let's put Kevin Spacey in a political drama. That's basically yeah, how it went. Exa- exactly. But that, that, I mean, that's, that's kind of different from like a, uh, a, a two and a half men idea of like broad base appeal. Uh, so, so when you, when you, I, what I thought about was like taking that kind of model of being able to like anticipate the wants of a segment of the that's population. That's not anticipation. That's like it, looking at what people already like and saying, we're going to make it the same thing, but with people that you like. Like, that's a dangerous thing to, like, think, okay, we're just going to copy all this stuff that people already like and kind of make it, like, with different people in it. Like, that's not making anything new. That's just making the same old thing, you know? Well, I mean, you're, you're talking about a show that was a remake of an original show. Like, if, if you look at it the other way, if you just like a political drama starring Kevin Spacey. That's not, doesn't have to be a remake of something or a, just more of the same. It was because they chose to take it. They chose to do a remake of a show that they already know is a new known quantity house of cards. I mean, it wasn't Netflix very well. first original thing. That's like a fun fact too. Lily hammer is Netflix first, like original production or like the, and it, production that came out and yeah you know who fox heard of lily hammer yeah no i i actually hadn't but what, what what i'm trying to get at here is like you have access to this kind of information so you could already know like looking at the the analytics for how it performed there what the audience could be for a project like veronica mars or uh, another show that is maybe on there and like doing well on the analytics and then uh, a gr- you could take it directly to the fans of that show and say, do you want something more like this? Or basically directly pitch a show to the group of people who would be interested in watching it and have them fund it. So I, I guess what I saw coming out of this was the idea, 
of a prospect for um, a little bit more of a direct involvement of fans to grease the wheels of getting the kinds of shows they would like to watch, uh, which I think is an interesting idea. I don't think we're going to be there yet, but I think it's a possibility. I think it's it's a possible outcome. It's almost an inevitability with the yeah. Internet and all this fucking junk. And I, I think that's interesting. I mean, I think it could go terribly, terribly wrong, but I think it could also be I, I think it could also res, the other side of it would be resulting in you have access to a lot more of the kinds of shows that you actually personally really want to watch. So I I'm anxious to see where it goes. Uh, but on the other side of things, I'm just really more I'm just really excited for more Veronica Mars. I think I'm the only one on the podcast who watched the show. Am I correct in saying that? Uh, yes, it's on my okay. to-do list. It has been for a while. I have not gotten to it. Um, I hope you guys do check it out. Uh, I, I think Alex has to depart at the moment. So, um, Indeed. All right. Get uh, the hell out of here, Alex. Um, Chris and I will move on in a moment to our next topic. But for now, I, I think we get a little bit more <clears throat> to discuss with Veronica Mars, personally. Okay. Yeah, we haven't really heard from you yet, Jordan. So, see you later, um, Alex. Yep, so, I'll see you later. Thanks, guys. Yeah, see you later, Alex. Um, I actually will be carrying the torch for Alex a little bit here. Um, not, not saying anything negative about Kickstarter or Veronica Mars, as I think we did last time we discussed the Kickstarter and potential, its potential growth on the podcast. But I read a lot saying that the biggest problem Veronica Mars is going to have is the idea of, um, paying out all the rewards and how much yeah. of what they've raised is going to go to funding all the things they promised people. Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely that's definitely another issue. I mean, I don't think it's a perfect system by any means so far, um, but I, I I don't really know what the answer to that would be other than they're still earning money, um, and possibly they will be able to find other sources of funding now that they've been able to show what a known quantity this is and just what kind of interest there is out there. I mean, you can, the, the fact that you raised a million dollars in four hours is something you can take to the bank in terms of literally moving to a studio that, well, yes, literally moving like <laughs> to a studio that there is a fan base out there that is so committed, not only to raise that amount of money, but also to encourage people to go and see this movie with them. I mean, this is, Yes and no. My concern is, is um, as, as Alex pointed out, I think, if you look at the number of people that have donated to the movie, if th- that number of people sees the movie, it's a complete flop. Well, it, it, but that's that's the um, that's that's the mobile. That's the motivated base, though. That's the that's the group of people who are not only going to be definitely the people that are filling out the seats day one, but they're also going to be the people who are. Uh, your free press and free advertising for this thing. I mean, this is if for nothing else, this has made a show that barely uh, a very small segment of the population watched a major story. A on the Internet and B, I, it made the rounds of the morning talk shows and several of the uh, later night news programs. And so that that's an incredible amount of press for a very niche TV show turning into a movie Six years after it gone off the air. Oh yeah, and don't, I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't think that uh, that this is doomed to failure. I don't think that it's a bad thing at all. I don't think that the rewards are actually going to kill the project in the way that I've heard some people saying. Yeah. I just think if I'm the studio head, I don't know how much this moves the dial, um, and I don't know how much it needs to, considering that Kickstarter may be a revolution in the way that these projects get off the ground. I, I mean, obviously, I don't think it's going to be a revolution in the way that things get funded usually. But it may be a game changer eventually in that regard, um, just in terms of getting studios to think, well, maybe we'll take a chance on this project because there's some backing from elsewhere and we don't have to risk quite as much money on it. But if yeah. I'm a studio head, I am saying, like, great, like, you got, I don't I don't know, do you know the number of people it's, uh, that have donated? Uh, yeah, at this moment it is, um, it's about 55, it's about 56,000. Okay, I mean, they're doing all right. Um, yeah. Of course, at ten dollars a ticket, that's like great. We made a half a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, again, like this is this is the amount of people that cares enough to actually put the money into it. Right, and these are and some Terms of these of, people will put a lot of money in. Yeah, and it's like I I personally know of very dedicated Veronica Mars fans who 
didn't contribute to the Kickstarter. They're excited to see the movie, but they just either didn't have the money or saw it was funded and were like, oh, I don't have to now. So that doesn't represent the entirety of the fan base that's out there. Right, and I mean, I'm in a situation, Veronica Mars I haven't seen, so chances of me donating to that would be slim. But I'm in a situation right now where, like, until I am out of my massive law school debt, I'm probably not going to be contributing to Kickstarters on, on a limb. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of people in our age group, which is actually also the age group probably most largely into Veronica Mars, um, are less likely to contribute than they are to actually go see the movie. Yeah. Just I, for I, strictly financial reasons. No, I, 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 I totally agree with that. I totally get to that. And I think that is the audience for the movie. I think that was the fan base that flocked to it. Um, but I, I, I think that Kickstarter can be a revolutionary funding system in this way for these um, passion projects. But I, I, I agree with you that maybe they need to get away from the um, the, the cost strain that the award that the rewards are. But I think that Veronica Mars for being the first or at least the biggest project of this nature uh had couldn't take that chance i i don't think that they knew that they were going to it was going to be this much of a success i really don't i think that they thought that it was going to take them if they were going to get the money it would take much longer than a day i don't think anyone expected them to get the money in no the there's no way i mean this, yeah. this was astronomically above i'm sure what anyone's expectations were yeah and i i, I think i agree with your I, I think i agree with you in terms of they don't i i, I think what this proves is maybe that a known quantity doesn't need to offer rewards or at least rewards that would constitute a substantial drain on the profits to get this thing done and done right. If See, people care enough about Veronica Mars, they're going to donate to you. I mean, to, to be honest with you, after I made my donation day of and the day after I was talking about it with somebody and they asked me what rewards I got. And it took me a minute to remember the package I, I chose because it's like that that wasn't what was important to me. What was important to me was making this happen, being a part of this, and um, it, it, it just looking at what I could financially contribute at the time and doing whatever part I could. And that was what, it, it didn't really matter to me what I was getting in return because what the reward for me was the, seeing this thing that I love come back and have a second chance at life. And to me, that's, that's what Kickstarter should be focused on more than the rewards. Yeah. Um, Alex has expressed skepticism in the past, I know, and I wish he was here for this part because of that, um, that Kickstarter would be as successful if it didn't offer the rewards. I think that that Kickstarter either would or should be in a position where they wouldn't have to offer rewards, at least for big things like this. I think if you're going to do something obscure, uh, you know, like an unknown director trying to finance his first movie on on Kickstarter, I think you're probably going to have to offer rewards to get people to yeah. kick in on that. Um, but I think if you're going to do something like Veronica Mars, people like you are going to say, I loved that show. I want to see a movie based on that show. I'm going to give what I can. Yeah, there, there are things I would donate to in a heartbeat without even any idea of like what I would be getting in return, like like a Terriers movie or a Deadwood movie. Like I would doesn't matter what they're getting me. I think that the rewards do have their place in, as you just said, with the unknown quantities and encouraging people to maybe get a little something an immediate return on their investment. And also maybe I think I could see I, I I think we have the mentality we have the wrong mentality of the awards and that the rewards and that we are people who don't really have that much of a disposable income available to us. I think the rewards are more effective in targeting people who do have a little bit of cash to spend in not making you donate, but maybe bumping you up to a little bit of a higher donation. You know what that I mean? That may be true, yes. Yeah. I think that's maybe where it comes into it. And I I would I would like to talk to maybe somebody older, maybe somebody with more of an income and who has donated to Kickstarter, maybe see if I um, I'm close or on, on point with this. But I, I could see that being the reason behind the award levels. Yeah, I think that's true. Um and I, I definitely see that, but I also think that there's the concern that when you do the rewards, part of the money that you're donating, it's sort of like people, I, you know, you always hear people say like, oh, I don't donate to charities, or I don't donate to certain charities, because not all the money goes to the cause. Yeah. And I, I feel like I haven't heard too many people personally complain about this, but I think there's a complaint out there of the idea of I'm donating to see a Veronica Mars movie get made, not to see a bunch of people get free DVDs or, you know, 
screens in their town that are draining the money that could go into making this movie that I am donating to. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think that's I think that's a valid argument. And but I think that's I think this is a question for the next guy in terms of I think now that we've proven that people will support something that they love and something that they want to come back, I think that another project uh, maybe on the stature of Veronica Mars could attempt to do the same thing, but with offering less um, cost prohibitive rewards. And we could see if that works. I and mean, if it doesn't, I think, then we I know think it does. Whedon could have financed Much Ado About Nothing on Kickstarter fairly easily, especially because that was a shoestring budget. Yeah, I agree. Um, so that's the sort of project that and I, I would definitely, uh, again, you know, if I was financially able, and I guess depending on how much money they were asking for, um, we'd have to see. But I think I would have donated to a Whedon Much Ado About Nothing, and I'm ecstatically excited to see the movie. Yeah, so, me like, too. These are the sorts of projects, and you know, I, I see a lot of uh, uh, people now sort of leaning toward maybe I'll uh, finance my next project on Kickstarter. You know, people I follow on Twitter are sort of discussing, or at least seeming more open to the idea that this is a, a way for them to make their art, and I think that's great. Um, and I think it, it may prove to eventually be a different way to fund things, in a different mode outside the studio system or outside the whatever system runs. You know, be it the music industry, the comics industry, whatever you're kickstartering, um, I think it's it's an alternative funding uh, stream that may prove viable eventually. Um, obviously, there are kinks to work out, and I think that's all we're really talking about. I I am uh, very optimistic that Kickstarter will have a role in entertainment funding and going forward, and I think that it's going to be a bigger one uh, in you know three to five years than we even imagine right now. Yeah. Uh, maybe not Kickstarter itself, you know, but whatever Kickstarter is starting off. Yeah. And, and I think Veronica Mars will be a big part of that. I think that I, I don't think that you're going to at least for the next two to three years, I don't think that you'll be able to read an article about Kickstarter that doesn't mention Veronica Mars. I think it's I think Veronica Mars is a watershed mark in the cultural relevance of Kickstarter and um it will be an integral part of the conversation about the service going forward. Well, and that, that to me, that just means like I have to, first of all, I have to watch Veronica Morris now that there's a movie going out there because I want to be part of that conversation when the movie comes out. You, but, you really do. You, I, it, it, it blows my mind that you haven't seen it yet. You, you would love it. it I, I really, well, it's, it's the same thing that. as Deadwood, which we've talked yeah. about on the podcast before. It's, it's a rainy day show where like, I know I'll love it because everyone that I talk to about it and seen it loves it. And because people whose art I love say this is other art you would love, like I know that I will love it. So it's just a question of like, well, I got a rainy day show, um, but it. it's gonna be have to, it's gonna have to move up into my docket. I am finishing a, a television project, if you will, uh, right now, and I think after I I kick that out, Veronica Mars is actually probably going to be at the top of my queue now. Cool. So. By the time the movie comes out, and hopefully we'll discuss that on the podcast, I will be caught up. But um, either way, yeah, I, I think I would be catching up on that show to see the movie now because I think that I want to financially support the movie even if I didn't want to financially support the show just because I think it, if the movie failed, that would be uh, a bad sign for Kickstarter's future and the story might become like, well, this this alternative funding thing didn't pay dividends. Yeah. Which would which would be a terrible end to the story. But uh, right now I'm I'm just optimistic. Like right now, like I I was I mean you you saw not, not firsthand but close enough just how excited I was on uh, Wednesday when this was happening. I think I was giving you hourly updates. Yeah, I was giving like, a lot of updates and trying to to match your excitement considering I haven't seen the show. Yeah, um, I, I just but I, I understand I just, you know like if. Firefly, which I, I don't even think I'd be all... Well, I would, of course, be excited if it came back. I can't lie. Yeah. Wish I wouldn't be excited. But it's a sort of a show that I've resigned myself to the death of. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Terrier is the same way. Like, if, if, ter if something happened with Terriers, I would be freaking out. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. I would actually like to talk about... Veronica Mars and plot details, but since you haven't seen it, we will save that for another podcast and another time. Yeah, since all uh, Veronica Mars watchers uh, were not able to make the podcast tonight. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe I'll do a rewatch when uh, around the time that you start watching, and then we can discuss as we get a little closer to the movie coming out. Yeah, Thoughts definitely. I would, I would be amenable to that. Um, cool. 
for now, why don't we move on and discuss uh, Batman Incorporated? Okay. Um, since I kicked off the last segment, why don't you... Yeah, I would be happy to. So we are entering the end game of Grant Morrison's epic run on Batman. He's been writing various Batman titles since 2005, um, and Batman Inc. will be his finale. And the last issue of Batman Inc., uh, issue 8, had a fairly big development. So before we move forward, if you were planning to read Morrison's run, if you were just a few weeks behind on your comics and haven't read Batman Inc., Eight yet, and if you don't want to be spoiled, now is the time to turn the podcast off, and we'll see you next week. Because everything we are going to say after this will spoil events in Batman. Inc. Now that I've given that warning, um, so the issue ended with a big cliffhanger uh, with the death of Damian Wayne, uh, Batman's current Robin. So why don't we start there, Chris? And I think we can we can sort of expand outward and talk about the book and Morrison in general from there. But what did you think of? How that was handled? What do you think of it as a narrative development? Uh, I, I'm I'm very saddened by this. Uh, I I really grew to love the character of Damien. Uh, Bruce, the character is Bruce Wayne's biological son. His and the son of his uh, longtime enemy Talia Al Ghul. Uh, and um, the character has been around for about six years now, and over that time has really grown from a universally reviled character into i think for a lot of fans their favorite robin maybe only um with his only competition maybe being dick grayson the original robin i think everybody really loved the dynamic of the character and grew to really see this being the most interesting character that's ever like held the mantle of robin and so i'm very very sad to see the character go that being said i think the issue was great i think um it was a love it was morrison's love letter to his own creation and i think he did a phenomenal job of actually um giving the character a lot of fist pump moments to go out on uh especially the um the little exchange like he got to save uh tim drake he got to save dick grayson um, he got to have his little um, Butch Cassidy Sundance moment with Dick Grayson, where they acknowledged just how great um, the when the book was called Batman and Robin and uh, Dick Grayson was Batman and Damian Wayne was Robin for the first time. Just how great that time span was. So there, there was just a lot of li- lot to like from that issue. And then it just ripped your heart out at the end. Yeah, and I, I, I do have to say I loved the, uh, the final moment between uh, Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne, who... Really, Damian Wayne started to develop as a character under that era when he lost his father, when Bruce was, what, I guess, unstuck in time is the only way to describe it. It's, yeah. Comics can be complicated, but <laughs> Damian, Damian had lost his father, um, and Dick Grayson was sort of an older brother figure for him. And I think I, saw, I really came to love the character during that era. And yeah. to give his, his, him this last callback of... of like you said, it was it was really a, a Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid moment of the two of them. Like, this is not going to end well, but we had some good times. Um, that being said, I, I have to admit that um, despite the fact that I have not read comics for nearly as long as you, I've already become quite cynical. And I immediately assumed, oh, Damien's not really dead. And it took until I was reading other Batman books and the repercussions of it were playing out in them for me to say, okay, well, they're going to stick with this and it's going to be a, an actual Batman plotline. Uh, and only then did it start to sink in and did I start to get really upset because, yeah, I, I love Damian Wayne. He is the Robin that I've read. You know, when I've been reading comics, he is my Robin. Um, and it's funny that you say Dick Grayson. I would say the only competition in my head is Tim Drake, but I've always been partial to Tim Drake. Okay. I, 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 can, I can see that. I think that's... I don't know if that's a popular about, choice, but yeah. I'm a rebel. Fair enough. Um, I... I, I think did you did you not think it was an actual death because you're used to the resurrections in comics or was it the way did it have something to do with the art or how the scene was handled? No, it, I didn't have any trouble uh, like understanding. Although I will say that occasionally Morrison's writing is is difficult to follow. Yeah, <laughs> like the but, but I mean what what the point I'm getting at there is it it did almost seem a little bit like a typical like comic cliffhanger. Know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wasn't sure if that it was that rather than 
it was the cycle of resurrections, which was the nagging doubt in your mind? Um, I think it was a little bit of both. Uh, I mean, it was very clear to me in the in the book that he was supposed to be dead. Okay. Um, but knowing that comics resurrect characters as often as they do, and knowing a that Morrison's about to end his run, and b what happened when Morrison ended his run on New X Men, um, which for those who are not familiar, basically everything that he had done with that book was pretty much immediately retconned. Well, that that wasn't yeah. Um, I. I, I will. I the idea of Morrison getting the shaft at Marvel is a conversation for another time. <laughs> but um, I mean, Damian Wayne was actually so Morrison's original plan was actually to kill Damian Wayne at the end of that first four issue arc, um, where the, he introduced the character. Uh, and it was only when he started his outlines that he realized he really couldn't uh accomplish the story he wanted to tell by only having the character in a book for that brief amount of time. So he Morrison is sticking by the idea that he always intended to kill Damien. This was always how the story was going to end, but it was just a matter of time, how the timetable changing to suit the needs of the story uh, that gave um, a bit more of a tenure to uh, Damien's stay. And Morrison himself will freely say that he could have, uh, actually written Damien for a much longer time if he wanted to. I think the new 52 kind of um, screwed with his intended timetable a little bit. And I think also he's, I mean, this is this is not only Morrison's end of Batman Incorporated. This is also his end to writing monthly comic books, or at least for the foreseeable future it is. So this is um, this is kind of a uh, a milestone moment for Morrison. But at the same time, it's like I, I can understand e- if this is what Morrison wants and your argument is that, well, Marvel immediately disregarded everything Morrison wanted. Uh, I, I think the counter argument there is that um, e- even if DC does like Damian Wayne, even if editorial does like the character and see um, like what Morrison was doing with it, it it's in their best interest to get a few Robins off the board. They, the entire purpose of the new 52 was to streamline the continuity was to chop away some of the um, character, some of the families that had just become ballooned to too big, huge in size, which is why you see less Batgirls in the new 52, why you see less flash characters in the new 52. Um, and so having four Robins on the table really kind of ages Bruce Wayne in a way that the new 52 was the whole purpose of it was to make these characters feel younger, to feel a little bit less lived in than they did in the old continuity. So I can see them honoring this decision of Morrison's for no other reason than that. See, and I I understand that, but I actually think that would be a stupid decision on the part of Damian Wayne. I feel like it would be, it would have been easy for them to get rid of uh, Jason Todd in the new 52 it would sure. even have been easy for them to get rid of Tim Drake if they were trying yeah. to cut out Robbins. Yeah. Like it would be easy to say there's only been Dick Grayson and, and Damian Wayne. And like, as I said, Tim Drake is probably my, my favorite Robin before Damian Wayne in a sort of theoretical sense, since I haven't read a whole lot of his run as Robin, but I've liked that character a whole lot. Um, but I would, I, I think if you're streamlining the bat continuity, those are the two you drop. Um, yeah. Especially considering the fact that Damian Wayne is currently holding the mantle and that Batman and Robin, the the book that focuses on his relationship with his father, is actually a fairly successful, at least artistically. I don't know about the sales, but it's a fairly successful part of the Batline and of DC's books. Uh, I think I think it sells pretty well. I, I I don't think it's I don't think it's top ten or maybe top twenty, but I, I would definitely think it's about top thirty, top forty to be sure. So yeah. And I mean, it's a book that that has actually done really good work with the idea of of Bruce Wayne as a reluctant father and of Damian Wayne as a, as a little kid who never really learned how to be a little kid and doesn't know how to be parented. Did you read the, uh, the silent issue? Oh yes, I am. I am current on, uh, yeah. Batman and Robin and it was, it was a beautiful issue. I, I actually picked that up and I, I, I loved it. The art on that was amazing, especially the, um, the, the two page spread where it's the cape is dividing the different panels of what mm-hmm. he's been doing throughout the night. I thought that was a great page. It's a, it was a beautiful issue. Um, and I'm just sad to see that book, sort of being forced to change his mandate when it was doing such good work with the relationship between Damien and Bruce. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel like it's it's the sort of thing where I hate to see an editorial decision um, affect a book that I love 
when it wasn't made by the writers of that book. And I mean, presumably, uh, Tomasi has known this was coming. Um, I'm sure he did, but it's, this is, I feel like this is less of an editorial. This really feels like a Morrison decision to me. Like Morrison, uh, I think this is what he wanted because he, it's no secret that he wanted Damien to die as part of his story. Um, but I, I I don't think this was editorial saying we gotta, we gotta kill a Robin. Let's make it the new one. I think this was a Morrison driven story that editorial is supporting. So I, I, I feel a little bit better when it's coming from a writer and not a mandate from down from on top. I think that's, I think that's true. I just, and I mean, obviously I don't want to comment before Morrison ends. His stories always play better once they've completed and, even I already planned once he wraps Batman Inc. to go back and read all of it because I imagine that his whole run will play better once it's completed. Sure. Um, so I feel I feel a little iffy commenting on it in the middle of this final run and in the middle of the story he's still telling, even if we have reached arguably the climax of it. But it just it feels like he added something of great weight to the Bat mythos that he's now subtracting from it. Yeah, and I think. Uh... I think the thing that I'm uh, most dreading about this development is um, I'm not sure I'm really that excited for the, however long the morning period is going to be, because for the story to have weight, it has to have a real effect on the character. But I don't really know how long I want to read about a Batman who is a father who's very young child has died. I mean, that's not like something a character can ever really come back from. So this is something we're going to see having long, long, long-term ramifications. And I don't really know if I want that extra shade of darkness hanging over the books for the next years, I guess for Yeah. Years. I mean, like you, you can't really ever bounce back from that. So that's going to be a tough um, wait for the next Bat Riders to carry forward. And, um, it, I mean, Batman's a dark character to begin with, but there, there are there are levels of darkness, you know what I mean? And um, parent losing child is sort of an area of darkness that's not... Well, it, it's it's I think full it, of emotional sorrow that I don't really want to spend long, long periods of time dwelling in, but you have to because it would be... Uh, untrue to the character and it would undercut the weight of the story if he did yeah and i don't have problems in theory with comics addressing parents losing children like i think that is a perfectly valid storyline for any art form to tackle i don't know if i if i particularly am looking forward to the idea of a superhero comic tackling it uh yeah and and i don't mean just any superhero comic couldn't do it either i think specifically like batman doing it does not necessarily appeal to me I, I, I would agree with that. That's a be- much better articulation of how I feel about it. I don't feel like it's subject matter that shouldn't be covered. I just don't know that I want to see it covered in Batman where we have five to six Batman books a month and they're all going to have to be bearing this weight moving forward. And, and like we said, for a long time, I mean, yes, you're not going to it's not like we've dealt with the silent issue and yeah. now Damien's just a thing of the past. Like if they want to give this story the weight that that the entire line seems to be wanting to give it, that means dealing with Bruce's grief in a yeah. long, in a lot for a long stretch going forward. Yeah. I mean, the back corner of the universe, the back corner of the DCU is going to be a very depressing place moving forward for quite a while to come. And it's hopefully that doesn't translate into, um, fatigue on the part of the readers, but, um, there's some very talented people working there right now. Scott Snyder, especially. So, We'll see how they handle it moving forward. Yeah, um, I will obviously be reading. I, I imagine you read how many of the bat books do you read? I read an embarrassing number. Uh, I I actually only read two. Uh, Batman Inc. and Batman. Yeah. And is it true you've you've mentioned something about Snyder sort of getting out of dodge with a with a flashback story? Is that the case? Uh, yeah, Snyder's next big story on his book. Uh, he's going to be telling a year long story called Batman Year Zero, which I think is a very calculated move on his portion to avoid at least or at least postpone the um type of story that i was just describing a minute ago i think it's i think it's definitely his plan to find a way to circumvent having to to immediately deal with the batman who is a father who has lost his son for a whole year and have that 
the ramifications of that weighing down the kinds of stories he wants to tell. A year long story, huh? So it's like a, a year long flashback to the early days of Batman. Yeah, it's called Batman Year Zero. Okay, well, I've I think there's been mixed a mixed track record with those types of stories in the past. Um, but obviously Snyder has kicked ass across the board on what he's done with Batman so far. So I'm in. Yeah, I I I, I usually I think we are in agreement that neither you or I really enjoys a flashback story um especially one that lasts more than an issue but scott snyder has built up enough goodwill to for me to kind of trust him and where he's going with this and also if ever there was a time for me to want a flashback story or a story that was in a taking place in a different period of time from the character it's now because i i I probably i think i might start picking up the batman robin book also so i don't know what i need two Batman books that are just completely mired in grief and um, anguish. How many issues of Batman Inc. do we have left? I always forget. I ask you this all the time. Um, It was originally intended to be 12, but Morrison always ends up adding another issue or two to his intended out point. So I would say anywhere between uh, four and seven issues left. All right. So... um... We, if it's if it is four to seven months from now, there's a very good chance that we will talk about the end of Morrison's run and maybe the Morrison's run as a whole as that wraps up because it has been a very long run and kind of a big deal in comics for a while. I mean, he's yeah. he's been Scott Snyder sort of challenged the throne the last few years, but Morrison has been the bat writer for almost a decade. And also, as I said before, it is Morrison's at least for now swan song to the monthly comic book. So I think it's uh, it's definitely going to be interesting, both in terms of what he gave to the Bat Mythos and what this says as his sign off to writing comics as a monthly writer. So, so. I think I think those of you who are Batman fans who have not been reading Morrison um, now may be a good time to catch up because you can probably catch up right as as his story ends. And he is not a, he's going to go out not with a whimper, but a bang, I am sure. He's someone who oh, plans yeah. very far in advance and who, like I said, his storyline tends to come into focus only in hindsight. And you start to realize that a lot of things he's been playing with throughout have actually been very important. So I would expect that uh, his entire run will come into very sharp relief as it wraps up. And we'll sort of see some things that haven't been clear to us yet. Yeah, absolutely. So for now, maybe you guys should check that out. Uh, if you do, we'll probably talk about it later in the year. Um, so let us know if that interests you at all. Um, with that, why don't we wrap up um, and announce the winner of the Rachel Tardif Memorial Award for Best Performance in the Week. Um, this is, I think, going to come as a surprise to no one, uh, including you, Chris. But uh, the winner of the week is Veronica Mars. Hooray! Um, Rob Thomas, Chris and Bell, they did good work this week. They They have potentially kicked off a new Kickstarter revolution. Uh, Obviously only time will tell on that front, but it would be impossible for us to not recognize that. So congratulations guys. Come on down, pick up your trophy and your small cash prize and get a pat on the back from us. And we're looking forward to seeing what you do with the movie. Uh, For now, we are going to wrap up the show. As always, you can email us at reviewvnamed at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at reviewvnamed. You can visit the website at reviewvnamed.com. We hope to hear from you in one way or all. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.